And so when I'm storytelling, I'm not telling my damn story that shows how great I am. Nobody wants to hear that on your team. You're the boss. <laughs> you have power and privilege. You talking about how great you are at something actually reduces commitment to that thing because it makes it sound like you think you're better than everybody else. Is that rational? No, that's just how humans are, is how they are. And so then the storytelling, what I tell leaders is tell their story. Make the story not about you. Make, uh, make the hero somebody else. Leaders should not make themselves the hero in a story. We are never the hero in the story. Somebody else is always the hero. And we relive that story in a way that people can find themselves in and want to be a part of. And it's a we, it's not a me. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. We are all storytellers, both in the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Joining me today to discuss the importance of storytelling and leading people is Christina Harbridge. Christina is a behaviorist who trains and coaches individuals, teams, and large groups to understand and leverage their own personal operating system when dealing with others who may or may not be rational. The story of how she transformed the debt collection industry through unorthodox methods, like being nice, is included in Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And Christina is the author of Swayed, How to Communicate for Impact, which reached number one on Amazon's conflict category list. She is also a sought-after speaker. In fact, I met Christina at the EO Eccentric Conference last fall, and where she delivered two general sessions and two breakout sessions, all of which I attended, and I was just blown away. So I think you're really going to enjoy what she has to share today. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Christina. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with your story. I touched on it a little bit, but what was your path and how did you come to be a CEO, consultant, coach, and authority in communication? Ooh, how did I do that? I think it started, um, I was a special ed student. When I was a kid, I couldn't talk. I, have, I still have it. I have a stutter and a stammer. And everything that they taught me to do made it worse. And one day in the back of, a, I think it was like a 1970, I don't even remember what car it was. I was in the back without seatbelts, looking at my Aunt Rosemary's white boots that had these little cutouts that had turquoise leather behind them. And I was on the way to be a daffodil in a school play. Why they put a kid that couldn't talk in a play, I don't, I will never understand. I was completely freaked out. And in that moment, by looking at her boots, I was no longer stressed. And I was only maybe five or six years old and it was a game changer for me. It just taught me to get out of my head. And from that moment on, I just got out of my head and started watching people rather than listening to them. And so over, you know, by this one little thing that keeps me from stuttering has introduced me to all the ways that people miscommunicate. It's like this, I see it all the time. It happens right in front of you. And it's because many of us do habits that aren't actually working tools and habits. I haven't. So that's where it started. That's kind of early, Mike. That's probably earlier than you wanted. Well, no, that's interesting because that was foundational for you. And, yeah. and here you are maybe a few decades later. And 
Yeah. And, and it still sticks with you because it's, it's been such an impact on, on your own behavior. And I think we probably all have those. In fact, I think that's one of the exercises you had us do in, in one of your mm -hmm. breakout sessions is, is help, you know, think about those, those, those key stories from early in our, in our lives. And I think sometimes those stories are really relevant and, and, at, you know, we remember them positively and they're accurate, but I think sometimes we also remember them the wrong way and they, and we carry them out, drag them along with us for a long time. Yeah, we remember things. It's interesting. So much is driving our behavior um, that's based in our physiology, not facts and feelings. And so we remember things differently. We confabulate. Not, and I'm not doing psychology right now. I'm marginally sane. Not talking psychology <laughs> right now. What happens as humans, Mike, is if we have a feeling we don't feel like having, because we've been raised to just get over it, most of us were raised that way, we soothe that feeling in with a lot of soothing mechanisms. And those often don't get us more of what we want. So if you think about a story that happened when we were a kid, if there's a dip in our physiology during that story, it's the soothing mechanism that's causing us to see it different than it was. And we all, I mean, the three of us might tell a different story about this podcast. And the reason we tell a different story about what we're experiencing right now is because of our physiology. It's how we're our body is driving while we're talking. And so you talk about telling stories. And when you say storyteller, I think of names like Will Rogers, Malcolm Gladwell, Bruce Springsteen, mm. Barack Obama. But what is storytelling? And why is it a skill that people who lead other people need to really pay attention to? Yeah, you know, I've been teaching storytelling for more than 30 years, um, and I was really ridiculed when I first started doing it in business. And one of the things about storytelling is um, once one of the challenges is storytelling, if it's co-opted by capitalism, it's going to lose its beauty. And it's something you said in an earlier podcast, Mike, that I'm just going to steal your words right now, if I may that HR never wants to be transactional. If you're transactional, that's when things really, I don't remember if you know that episode, but that's where mm -hmm. things really skip, the record right. skips. The same is true with storytelling. What's Storytelling is very important, I'm gonna answer your question, but it's critical that it's not done in a transactional way. Because why storytelling is so profound is when people can find themselves in a narrative there's more likelihood for either commitment or a declaration that I'm out. Either of those is a win in business because we either get to the reality, the truth, we find our people or people who want to be part of our movement can find themselves in what we're talking about. So storytelling is critical because it's how people listen unless we do it in a way that is just cliche and cheesy and transactional. And I can give you an example if that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so a leader that's, that uh, CEOs are being taught to storytell right now. And so they'll say, okay, what do I want my team to do? I want my team to work hard. So I'm gonna stand in the conference room and I'm gonna tell a story about work, me working hard to get my team to work hard. Hand them a needle to stick in their eye and a barf bag, because they are not gonna be, that is so transactional and gross it actually reduces commitment. So storytelling is important as long as we're doing it as a way to help people find themselves in the movement rather than to try to convince them to do something. 
And you mentioned earlier the the idea of the human operating system, and I think that ties in what you're saying about physiology. Talk more about that and and how we, I guess, pay attention to our own physiology or our own operating system, and then try to, I guess, integrate or touch, you know, uh, connect to somebody else's. Absolutely. So it really does start with us. So right now, um, our afferent quotient, this is a phrase that I made up. There's an afferent system, which is your, you and I, our physiology is driving. So there's a difference than when I'm kind of awkward right now. I'm not in the same physiology I am with my closest friends. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. I bring that out in people. I bring out the awkward. It's just, I, I just don't usually do, po- you know, I say no to podcasts, but I would say yes to you for anything oh. you ask me to do. Um, so, you know, there's, it'll take me a minute for my operating system to get open and a way, Mike, to make this tangible is everyone listening to this podcast has had a moment where they've thought of the perfect thing to say three minutes after a conversation. Or and then for weeks thereafter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. Or they've, or they've blurted. They've said something in a moment where like, why did I say that? Like, that's not who I am. This is driven by what's happening in our physiology. Our afferent system is driving our behavior more than facts and feelings. And when, our, when my physiology is a little bit closed right now, how I soothe that is either going to get you and I closer to the outcomes that we want together, or it's going to move me away from them. And so in storytelling, storytelling isn't a presentation, it's a feeling. And so a leader must be in the story, not about it, for it, for the other bodies in the room to feel that this is an experience rather than somebody just telling them what to do or sharing vulnerability to be vulnerable rather than to connect. Yeah. And there's, that's interesting because there've been a number and I'm probably more tuned into this as, as somebody who's working with HR leaders a lot, but um, there've been a lot of stories recently, uh, you know, around the great resignation and quiet quitting and all of that where, and where the manager's responses to, maybe underperformance or just not the kind of performance that manager seems to want from their team. Uh, they post notes or send emails talking about when I was in your position, I worked, you know, I was, when we were a startup, I was working 80 hours a week and blah, blah, blah. And you guys don't want to work and blah. And, and I think that's going to motivate somebody. And, and rather than, you know, rather than do the, you know, the Simon Sinek kind of thing, here's what we're trying to, work towards here's the here's the goals here's who this organization is and try to inspire people to buy into the to their vision well a key to commitment so all of us there's a difference between commitment and compliance and managers we lead attention it is our job to lead we we manage attention that's what we do there's so much that our team members can focus on so a fundamental difference in outcomes is if a leader can inspire commitment rather than compliance. And in the example that you're giving, one fundamental piece of it is how do how does that person feel about themselves around that manager or leader? And this quiet quitting, great resi, all this crap, if you if we look back, I was an economics major. If, if you look back in news media for the last 150 years, nobody wants to work has been in every generation. 
Every right. generation says it. This is not new. So let me explain what I mean by this. What happens is we experience discomfort um, in a certain set of situations where we wish people would work 18 hours like we did. So let's just say that that's an example of a leader. We're experiencing discomfort. One of the ways we soothe that discomfort is broad sweeping statements. There's 982 of these soothing mechanisms. I promise you, I won't do them all on this, but broad sweeping statements is a soothing mechanism. So this quiet quitting, no one wants to work anymore. You have to put in more. These broad sweeping statements have a negative connotation to them. And then that negative connotation dips that person's physiology and they're less committed. So simple example is if I said to you, Mike, we need to increase velocity. What did I just call you? What did I just say you are? Slow. Yeah. yeah. So now your physiology is dipped. It's not rational, but your physiology is dipped. How are you going to soothe that dip? Are you going to soothe that dip by saying, yeah, you're right. We do need to pick, pick up speed. Not a lot of people do that. Yeah, I'm going to get a lot my of feelings hurt. Yeah. 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 A lot of people soothe it by saying, well, you, blah, 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 or you, you know, yeah. they're in their internal monologue. So as leaders, storytelling, we have to be careful of the counter narrative that we're doing with these broad sweeping statements. Stories explain it in a way that feels less attacking. Interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned the, the afferent quotient. What do you mean by afferent? Uh, maybe because maybe I'm just not that smart. I, I'm not, I, that's a term I'm, I, I need, uh, I need some clarification on. There is no reason for you to know that term. And so there is, um, years ago when I had a call center, uh, I started noticing that there are some people that were just really good at conflict naturally. And we would hire all these training organizations and people would rate it a 10, but then their behavior wouldn't change. And I, I started really geeking out on this. Why, what is going on? Because it's that they love the training, but they can't pull off when someone's yelling at them, they can't pull off the tools that they learn. So that's when I really started geeking out. We started hooking people up to these heart math machines that tested co heart coherence to try to figure out it's something in some people's bodies that just make them less hijackable. They're just, they, they, they go toward the conflict rather than bracing in it. So I got, I was very lucky to get picked to be a NASA test subject. And they put me in these jackets that test 22 pieces of physiology. They've got everything that's going on in my body up on screens. And they introduced me to this concept that there's this physiology, your afferent system, that's one system that is happening without you realizing it. And it's driving a lot of the behavior. And they really showed me how my body was alerting to everything. I just picked up everything where the partner that I had in this, he didn't alert to anything. And so if you, it, it afference is just how you're breathing, the heat on your side, all these things are driving. And what I have decided is that when each of us has an innate talent, something that comes easy to us, that is born from how our body responds to stimulus. There's a reason why people are accountants. There's a reason why people right. are Navy SEALs. There's a reason why people are actors. It, it starts in their afferents, how their system is designed. Interesting. And another thing you mentioned earlier was 
I think you said there's 29 soothing systems or? or oh, there's over 900. Oh, okay. Because I'm out of my head all the time. So when I'm yeah. in a meeting, so when I'm at a Neo event, I don't watch the speaker. I watch the audience. I watch people. Interesting. And there's about, there's over 900 ways that when someone's afferent system, like when there's a dip, when there's a mm -hmm. bracing, when there's a closing, um, we either sit still in that or we soothe it to just get over it. And there's over 900 of them that people do. And often they don't, um, they don't get them closer to the outcome that they want. So that's just to relieve the stress, uh, the physical stress of what you're you're encountering the, or the, yeah, the, I guess physical stress that's being created by whatever you're encountering that is that, is that what, what are we soothing there? Yeah. I, for some, it's not stress. It's something has changed in our physiology and to address that change, we soothe it. We, we do something because it might not, it doesn't always feel uncomfortable, but something changed. And so an example, um, I'm trying to think of another example. So if um, someone looks at me and calls me a helicopter mom, you're a helicopter mom, my body braces, and what do I do now? And for many of us, we say, well, you're a, you know, we, we get into this conflict with the person instead of being like, huh, what do you mean? Like, what's an example of that? Like, huh? Because helicopter mom is the blurt. It's the broad sweeping statement. Um, I don't need to soothe. I don't need to protect myself from something that doesn't even mean anything. I need to know what they mean. And so the soothing is like, I didn't like how that felt. So let me soothe it by lashing back at you when that's not oh. the outcome I want. The outcome I want is, oh, I don't want to be that. What are you seeing? And so you could, and so that could even be a positive thing. Um, I, um, have, uh, I'm challenged when, when people say nice things to my face about me, hey, you know, and I'm, I'll be at an HR conference or somebody will say, somebody will say, Hey, uh, your presentation was really great. Or I, I listened to the podcast and I really enjoy what you do. I think that's, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, and I, and my, I guess my soothing mechanism is to, oh, I knew somebody was listening to the podcast. It's you. And I just kind of play it off as a, as a joke and, and, and rather than be gracious. And I've been called out for it before, but that'd be a similar kind of thing, right? Can we use you as an example? Please. Right on. Let's get into it. So here's the thing. So um, when our physiology dips, at least half the time, it's because of our innate talent. We dip because there's something that comes easy to us that may not be present in the moment. So one of the things I noticed about you on the podcast is you're really good at getting out of buzzword talk. So if somebody gives a buzzword, you ask a question to get a, a specific, then you give an example and then they give a little bit more nuance. So Mike, I don't know you very well, but part of your superhero power is nuance. It's your ability to, to get into more of the real specific thing that is tangible, that then people could use it. And so listening to your podcast, you, you, you will ask three layered questions to get to that thing that you've probably always been good at this. It's born in your physiology. So when someone looks at you and says, Mike, that was a great talk. That's a superlative. Your body goes, ew, <laughs> great superlatives aren't, that's not where you live. So part of what's happening there is your talent. 
And so the way that you're soothing that dip, instead of using your talent, oh, what part of it could you use? Which is what you would do on a podcast. On a podcast, you'd be like, oh, what part of it? Where will you, where will you use that? You would be all, oh, this is great. That would, you would love that. Instead of that, you're deflecting with humor. And as humans, we then psychoanalyze ourselves and say, oh, that's just because I'm humble. That's not what's happening in that, in my view. I could be mm-hmm. wrong, but what might be happening is just deploy your innate talent in those moments. Interesting. Yeah, because what happens perfect, then yeah. is that person who's given you love, you're now giving them love back with them really fully integrating it. You know the part. And, oh, Mike, I have a question about this part. Then it becomes a dialogue that's not about you. It's about why you're doing it in the first place. Thanks for that, because I think that's that's, that's <laughs> very useful, and and I'm going to mull on it. But you used the word nuance, and one of the notes from one of your talks that I made was the tyranny is the deliberate removal of nuance, which at the time was like, oh, wow, that's really, really good. And I wrote it down. Talk a little bit about what you meant by that yes. uh, first, so make sure I've got it right. But also, I, I just think, uh, I think what I think it is, 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 is it's pretty powerful. Yeah, that quote is from Albert Mazelis. Um, and I read it years ago. And I was doing a lot of work on this broad sweeping statements thing, which is very common when people experience discomfort. And so when he wrote that, I'm going to bastard, I'm bastardizing this. Now I'm now using that quote for my own purposes. So I'm not sure. teaching mm-hmm. his genius. So what happens when teams experience discomfort? Many teams want to have a positive culture, Mike, and we all want to feel good about ourselves. We really want to be a very strong team. But if an organization is hired well, people should frustrate the heck out of each other because what one person's really great at, the other person isn't, and they get into conflict because one person's innate talent is actually repels the other person. And so there should be this conflict, but because we want to get along, we tolerate. We tolerate it, we tolerate it, we tolerate it. Then we get more of what we tolerate, which is a Tom Tom Batchelder quote, until we can't tolerate it anymore. And then we soothe it with a broad sweeping statement. And so a team will say, you know, product just doesn't get it. They just don't get it. Tyranny is a deliberate removal of nuance. That statement is an attack and does nothing for outcomes. And so in a team being able to notice when those are happening and have somebody in the room say, "Uh uh-oh, what's an example? What are you seeing? Because once we get into the example, there's more of a dialogue. And so tyranny is a deliberate removal of nuance is how a lot of demagogues control populations how people do things to divide people. It is a uh, it is something for all of us to hold as citizens in whatever country we're in. But if we are inside an organization, we have to be stewards for the example. We must be, because the example is where the real understanding and work happens. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. 
premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of an hour of recertification credit. To obtain the research information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 81 and enter the keyword story. That's S-T-O-R-Y. Next week, on February 8th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Mitigating Bias in the Employee Selection Process. We'll discuss the most common ways bias sneaks into, or is baked into, the recruitment, interviewing, and selection process, and systemic changes that can help mitigate bias in selecting employees. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after February 8th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Christina Harbridge. The book, uh, Swayed, The Power of Context to Increase Influence, you know, that ties into that idea that I'm going to persuade, I'm going to influence. And, but how does context, the, the immediate context of that conversation really play onto the, or I guess, how does my addressing the context play into the, the level of influence I'll have in a conversation? Hmm. So is that the right, the, or is that yeah. even the right way to say it? Is that, no, is that no, how you, yeah. A very fair question. Okay. And these are the kinds of questions that are challenging because without an example, there isn't enough mm. context to answer it. So doing that example with you, um, mm. when people come up to you, that's a tangible example that makes it the concept more understandable. Okay. But I'm going to take a shot at it. So let me take okay. a shot at it. So um, people have a basic need to feel understood. This is driving our behavior often away from under, away from outcomes. So the way context, context and storytelling plays in, Mike, is if I'm working with you on a team and you say, Christina, you need to be more accountable. I can nod at you and say yes, but nothing's going to change because I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I think I'm accountable. I might think you're talking about... um me forgetting something last week, but there's no uh, understanding in that moment. There's just, you said something, I agreed to it. Now nothing's going to happen. But if you said to me, hey, three days before we do a podcast, these two things must happen. And the last couple of times they haven't happened. What's up? I can look at you and be like, I didn't know I was supposed to do that which is a different conversation than Rob's supposed to do that, which is different than, oh, crap, I totally forgot. But now we're in a real dialogue so that we can get to the outcome that we want. But a lot of leaders feel like they don't have the time to explain it, so they just stay accountable. And then nothing changes, and then they get mad, and then right. they work more things like nobody wants to work. And it's because we're not doing the work as leaders to make it tangible. We have to make it tangible. Yeah. And, and we see that. And I see that a lot when I'm walking, working with organizations and, and leaders around performance management issues, the, a, a leader will, you know, ignore something or put up with it because 
they want to, for whatever reason, you know, they, they avoid the, the confrontation for whatever reason. Uh, and, and they see it as a potential conflict and, and they don't want to get into that. And then, um, they get to a breaking point though, not having ever really addressed any of the specifics with, with this, with this, uh, with this employee. And then all of a sudden, well, you're not reliable or you're, you're, um, you're, you know, you're not accountable or, um, you know, you're not invested in the company or whatever it is. And it's this ambiguous cloud talk, uh, that that's not very helpful. Uh, and you're not going to improve that help that person improve as you know, if you're their leader, that's your job. And it's a soothing mechanism. Labeling is one of the 900 ways. Let me label the person, which makes my body feel better. And then for, for as soon as there's a label, Mike, Cognitive illusions. I see what I already believe. So if I believe that you are distant, oh, Mike is just distant. Look at you. You just looked away from me. Look how distant you are. And you're drinking while I'm talking. Look how distant Mike is. It doesn't matter what you do now because my body has labeled you as distant. Everything you do is going to serve that up to me. So many organizations are living in the story in their head that with a tangible example becomes not true. So if I'm a leader and I'm getting ready to have, I want to have a meaningful conversation. Yeah. I, I, I want to have, I want to tell a story in a way that's going to inspire people that's um, going to, you know, have them, put them in a place where they want to give that discretionary effort that'll really move the organization along, help them, you know, realize their own personal goals through whatever they're doing uh, in the workplace. How do I prepare for that conversation? Because if, if I'm just, you know, naturally I'm, my physiology is going to lead me to do things that probably aren't the most constructive or helpful. How, what are, you know, what are some of the, the things that you shared? You know, we had multiple hours with you at, at, at eccentric, but uh, give me the high points of, of if a leader really wants to be prepared for those kind of conversations or telling those stories, what, what are some things that they should, they should think through? So Mike, the first hedge I'll get is it depends on the body telling it. So it's whatever that person's authentic style is, because the way I would do it would be different than the way you would do it. So it's for the leader to really understand they don't have to be a presenter. And in fact, they shouldn't be, they cannot present different than they are as a human so it's for them to understand if they have a casual style, that's how they do it. Um, if they're a sports person and they use sports metaphors, that's how to do it. So the first step is don't try to be somebody different. People always come to me for coaching and public speaking. They're like, I want to talk like Obama. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. You do not that we have to be natural in ourselves because the authentic self is more inspiring than any perfected presentation. So I have to say that. So my advice is kind of funky right now because I don't know who we're talking about. But, let but me the first one is to then yeah, yeah. figure out what your own style yeah. is, right? Yeah. And, and what notice how you, yeah. Notice how you are with your closest friends. Notice how you are when you're in your jam. Like really start, get out of your head and notice when people nod. Like wh wh when do you kill it? And it's often the stuff that you're not even realizing. It's when you grab a marker and a dry at a dry erase board and draw something. And so you think in a presentation, you can't do that. No, do the thing that everybody loves that you do. So that's, yeah, the first one, okay. Mike. But then it kind of splinters off after that because it really depends on the person. But here's what I'll say to, to folks listening. 
one of the challenges with now capitalism co-opting storytelling. So it's everywhere now. So this is what capitalism does. Ooh, this is a good idea. Let's run it into the ground. Let's like mm -hmm. really use it. So the way to do storytelling, if I am thinking, let's, I'm just going to make it about me. If I want um, to a, a team of people to remember how people feel about themselves matters. That's what I really, that's like the message I want people to feel. It's just to remember that that's one of our cultural tenets. For the next two weeks, I'm just going to watch my team for when they do that. I'm going to get out of my head and be like, who's doing this? Who's, who are the people in this with that, that do it all the time? I'm going to get out of my head and look for this thing I want to inspire people to do because it exists. I'm only seeing all the times they don't do it, which is going to make me totally snarky when I present. I got to see the beauty of when it happens. And it might be at the grocery store. Might not be my team at all. Might be my son. I, I got to see it first and really feel the serotonin of that flood my body with the beauty of it. Um, and so when I'm storytelling, I'm not telling my damn story that shows how great I am. Nobody wants to hear that on your team. You're the boss. <laughs> you have power and privilege. You talking about how great you are at something actually reduces commitment to that thing because it makes it sound like you think you're better than everybody else. Is that rational? No, that's just how humans are. It's how they are. And so then the storytelling, what I tell leaders is tell their story. Make the story not about you. Make, uh, make the hero somebody else. Leaders should not make themselves the hero in a story. We are never the hero in the story. Somebody else is always the hero. And we relive that story in a way that people can find themselves in and want to be a part of. And it's a we, it's not a me. Interesting. So look for those behaviors you want to see in others or that you want to inspire. Embrace those and, and get where you're recognizing those when you see them rather than recognizing the negative or yes. the, the opposite of them. Because yeah. those are the things that cause friction, right? When we get what we want, we're like, okay, that's great. But when we don't get what we want, yeah. that's what causes friction. And that's where we yeah. pay our, our attention. So shift our attention to to the, the more positive, the, the things that we want more of and, and recognize that before we even start having a conversation. And then the story is more real and then it, it helps people find themselves in it. It spotlights the behavior we want to see. But then when we give it, we're in the love of it rather than the judgment of it. So I was on a call recently that ran a little bit long because I had a lot of super annoying questions. I was doing this with an expert. And um, at the end of the call, I realized I have this person on the call. They're like the smartest person around this. I need to ask them a self-serving question. So Rob, who you may know, I asked all these questions about headphones. Rob didn't just give me like a little answer, fully educated me, sent me an email, uh, gave me more than I would ever want to know. And I think we should name streets after people like that. <laughs> so this is me. If I want to teach, you know, over, over present, over help people, that's how I would do it. And this just happened yesterday or day before. So it's, it's the practices make somebody else the hero and it works so great if it's on your team. And then it, what about preparing the message? So, uh, so let's say I'm there uh, that I've, I've, I've absorbed this stuff and 
I need to figure out how to deliver this message in a way that my team will hear it the way I want them to hear it uh, and the way that they need to hear it to be, you know, for it to be a positive experience. Yeah, that would take us another podcast. But uh -huh. let's just, let me just give you one thing. It's notice how you storytell with your friends when there isn't a transaction. Notice, notice how do you do it when you get together? Because that's what we do with our friends. What is your pattern? How do you do it? Do it like that. And then the message should come at the end, not the beginning. So when I just did that example, I didn't start by saying I met with this podcast dude who helped me with this stuff. I put that at the end. So everybody listening had no idea where I was going. And so you want to put the message at the end, not the beginning. And it should be really short, super short, just like two sentences. And so that, and that's something you talked about, uh, for sure that I took away is the, that idea of, I don't think you called it a call to action, but say, you know, that, that summary of here, you know, we've told the story and here's how I guess let's all do this as a response to this, to this, this story. Yeah. So let's make sure people feel cared for, you know, that it just, let's make people feel cared for. And when we spotlight some, you know, let's be like that. Let's care for people. And it's important as a leader, we say, let's not you, because I need to care for people too. Cause there are people in the freaking audience, Mike, listening to that leader that when that leader's physiology was dipped, they didn't care for them. When their physiology was dipped, they didn't do that. So when we say let's, it makes this a rallying cry for all of us, not somebody saying you need to do this. Interesting. And I just had the, uh, I've through therapy and, uh, and, uh, the, the efforts at meditation and, and journaling, I'm realizing some of the things that trigger, you know, I've been married as of uh, earlier this month, 26 years and, you know, three of the best years of her life. And so I, um, but I've, I'm learning that even after all these years, there are things that trigger me irrationally. Uh, if you, if you don't hear me out and you interrupt me, cause you already know what I'm going to say, even if you don't, uh, that, that short circuits me. It's my physiology, I guess, just kicks in and, uh, and I just, and I'm totally unreasonable for at least 45 seconds after that. And, uh, and I married the most patient person I've ever met. And so she just smiles sweetly and, gen and gently and waits for me to, to come back online. But, um, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more and more aware of, of how that those kind of things affect me. And, and I can see where if, if, if somebody's trying to bring me along with them, rather than just tell me, go do this, I'm going to respond very differently. And so that's, uh, that's, that's so interesting. Mike, there's so much to unpack in that example you just gave. There's so much to unpack because innate talent. So for whatever reason, physiologically, we tend to hire the person that's not like us, but well, not hire. I'm sorry. We tend to marry. Our partner tends to have a different physiology. So communication patterns are different. How we do things are different, just like in a business, just like product engineering, different thinking. And so in that example, it could be that your innate talents are doing this, mm -hmm. that, you know, they're, they're clashing in that moment where your partner's innate talent might be they may be seven steps ahead all the time. 
they may just be implications, implications, seven steps ahead. They like, they, they remember those like pictures we used to look at. I don't even know if you're old enough in the nineties of the ship that it was a blur. And then if you looked at oh, it, yeah. Yeah. so your partner, maybe uh, other people, people did. I'm blind in my right eye. I, I can never see those. And so, see yeah. so your partner may see that instantly. Like when someone's yeah. talking, they're already there. You may be someone who, um, likes to give more rigor and nuance in the conversation. Huh? We already kind of, I think that's kind of true about you. So what's happening is the innate talent is clashing. So one of the things, is this helpful? I don't mean, I don't oh, want to. Oh yeah, no, this is really interesting. And I'm, I'm sure my audience just loves hearing me get therapy on, on the, during the podcast, but please, it's, it's so good. But one of the things that you can do is you may be communicating the point up front and then explaining it, switch it. Make your partner work for the nuance. Don't tell them what you're talking about. So what's happening, as soon as you say the point, get it, interrupt. But if you flip it and start describing the nuance first, and it's almost where if, if, if uh, your partner starts going, what is, what is he saying? This is engagement. This is them not knowing where you're going. They're not going to interrupt because they're like, what, wait, what, what, what is that? So this, I don't know if it's true, but this is an example of innate talent. Interesting. Just that's how we're wired. And it's afference. Yeah. It's yeah and I would not want to be married to myself. And I would, I feel bad for anybody who happens to be, but, uh, but yeah, I can, I can totally see that. Yeah. Well, we've run up on the clock, but it wouldn't be a really great story if we didn't end with that call to action. So what's your message to those leaders, people, leaders who are on the call today that you want them to take away and let's Ooh. start doing. I get so many people reaching out to me for storytelling all, I mean, hundreds a week now, like just. Teach me story, story, story. Here's, here's what storytelling is about. And this is what, if your audience is people in HR, this is what you're naturally good at that you could teach everyone else in the organization. The key to storytelling in business is not to tell my story. It's not the, it's not for the leader to tell their story. It's to get the other person's story. If we can stop doing this and start doing this, we can inspire more commitment because people have a basic need to feel understood. We are one story away from our closest friends. And when leaders start getting the other person's story to get the example and the context, that's when commitment and outcomes really start flying. That's great. Well, that is all the time we have, but thank you for joining me today, Christine. Thank that was you. so helpful. Absolutely. And I, and I love questions. So anyone, I love it. Anyone can reach out to me with questions, nuance and examples is what I love. And we will definitely include your contact information in the show notes and, uh, links to where they, people can tap into your resources and the book, uh, will all be in show notes. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch at robmakespods.com is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.